Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. All of that glitter and all that gold won't buy when you've been born and so Welcome to the new and improved Habs Unfiltered with Less Filter, hosted by Blaine Potvay, Matt Smith, and Treg Toxic Wilson. We provide you, our listeners, informative, honest discussion and entertainment about the Montreal Canadiens, hockey, and sometimes bad life advice. Stick around, we will be right back with a jam-packed and entertaining episode. Have you ever needed a fragrance that matches your every social media post? Well, if you're on Twitter after dark and feel a little angry, you can wear Fireberry. This fragrance is available on every social media site. Fireberry. On every message board. Fireberry. So when you need to smell like your social media accounts take a bath in Fireberry. You'll need no other fragrance. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered, the most unfiltered edition of Unfiltered, ever unfiltered in a filter. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvay, and I am joined by Matt Smith. Good evening. And Treg Toxic Wilson. Hello, hello, hello. Ew, so toxic. Unbelievable. Someone has to be. Um, I, I can't. I cannot get past how toxic you are. It's pretty bad. It's terrible. <sighs> so, how was your week, fellas? I mean, you had that whole week off from me. You had uh, the greatest show ever. I was a little bit jealous you were in Moncton, to be honest. Well, I was jealous that you were not. <laughs> <laughs> it was well, I hope, you enjoy- I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, yeah, the parts I remember were pretty good. That sounds like Bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I guess we'll just dive right in uh, with some news and notes. Uh, the good news, uh, Jay Bowmeister was sent home from the hospital. Uh, he's back home with his family. Uh, he seems to be okay. Uh, his career clearly is in jeopardy, but um, even even if it is done... He could have a long, healthy, normal life now. Absolutely. He won't be able to play hockey anymore. Well, I mean, even without well, not, being able to play. Not in the NHL. No. Well, even if he doesn't play professionally ever again, he's home with his family and he's healthy. No, no, no. I'm just bringing up the point that because yeah. there is speculation that he could come back, but he... He he won't he he can't not with a uh, pacemaker because you can only get your heart rate so high. Yeah, which uh, 
Which brings me to the next point. Because of his his sad injury, uh, the Blues needed uh, a defenseman, and they made a trade for Marco Scandella. So Scandella goes and joins the Blues, one of the same uh, one of the teams that his uncle had played with. That was a great turnaround for uh, Mark Bergevin. He, he traded Buffalo a fourth-round pick for uh, Scandella, and he ended up getting a second and a conditional fourth back. So I think that uh, uh, right there was uh, was worth it. Well, I mean, he ate 50% of the cap so that he could fit under yeah. under St. Louis's cap structure. But, I mean, he's uh, his contract's expiring this year, so who cares? Uh, just the fact of eating that, if that brought it from a fourth to a second, excellent work. Excellent yep. work. Yeah, there were, multiple, there were multiple reports saying that um, Scandella and the Canadians had talked about an extension. However, apparently Scandella didn't want to uh, sign until the offseason. So, it was, you know, it was a good deal for Bergevin to make. And, you know, I, I would never expect uh, Scandella to fetch a second. So it's obviously a a seller's market right now, and he took advantage of it. Yes, he did. Now, um, we'll get back to that seller's market uh, in a little bit, but I wanted to pick your brains on some of the things that have happened this week. Um, The interaction between Gallagher and referee Dean Morton. What what did you guys make of that? Matt, what, what about you first? Well, I think I'm going to be able to drop my first F-bomb on Habs Unfiltered, so this is going to be good. Um, do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, let's just say that if uh, that had been Shea Weber, Dean Morton wouldn't have said a fucking word. He wouldn't have said a, he wouldn't have said a thing. And uh, you know what? Um, we, we all watched the game. It was, uh, it was one of those games that, uh, yeah, they definitely were playing against two different teams. Uh, Gallagher was frustrated, as was the rest of the bench. Julian got fined because of it, because of his uh, post-game, uh, uh, I guess his post-game speech. And um, yeah, I, 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 you know what? I, I, I think it was, um, it was warranted. It was, it was, it was something that uh, needed to be done. It was something that needed to be said. And um, honestly, it was, ten, I think it was 10K that was uh, well spent. And. Um, you know, as I said, he wouldn't have said a, he wouldn't have said a word if uh, if it would have been Jay Weber. What about you, Treg? Well, I have no issue with the ten grand that Julian got fined for. All he did was speak the truth about that game, and I mean, even if you look around the league, not just with the Habs, the refereeing in this league has gone downhill fast. Like it's it's you know rolling downhill quicker than a you know, I don't know what to call it, but uh, a two dollar um, hooker on payday, yeah, something like that. I was gonna say a crack whore going for free crack, but uh, um, and for him to tell Gallagher when he came up to him, and if you read lips, and if I read it correctly, he said this game's on you, right? And uh, for him to tell Gallagher to go fuck himself is just total disrespect. Right. Uh, You know, the penalties were so obvious that weren't called uh, for the Habs that 
uh, or against the Habs, or yeah, for the Habs, that uh, it, it was so it, it seemed blatant. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say he blatantly didn't call penalty. There's two refs on the ice, but uh, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm not going to conspiracy theory this or or do that. But <clears throat> the the entire league has shown a drop in the professionalism and the uh, uh, experience of the referees. And for him to do that and then absolutely no discipline done to the refs, like, and I think that's the issue in the league, is the refs don't have anything to, uh, I mean, they, they don't do as many playoff games. So they lose a lot of money on that. But other than that, the refs, and, and from what I know, and I haven't seen anything, maybe it's all done behind closed doors, but the refs seem to get away, be able to do or get away with whatever we want. There's no... Uh, there's no bar for them to set for them, for them to say, Hey, if you get below this bar, then shit's going to go down. And <clears throat> I think the only worse refing in any sport is basketball than, than, uh, than hockey, but hockey, the refing just, it's just terrible. And it's not just against the Habs, it's the entire league. Now, my view of it is, uh, this kind of stuff's going to happen. Uh, it, it, you know, tempers flare, uh, the referees, uh, there's there's always going to be a fuck-off-off between players and refs. It happens. Um, but you're right. There doesn't seem to be any accountability. And the, uh, there were a lot of non-calls that, uh, that should have been made in that game. And there were a lot of calls that were kind of iffy going the other way for both teams. It was just, it was poorly managed. That whole game was poorly managed. And Montreal never had a penalty that whole game. No, they had plenty of. Or, they had no power, power play. They didn't, have, didn't have a power. They never play. had a power play that entire game. But and don't I, look, and the, don't the trip, really really bad after that game. And the trip <laughs> yeah, and the, the the high stick to Domi and the the slash on Kovalchuk's stick in overtime were all obvious penalties. Yeah, like it's they, not like yeah. they weren't even close. But this is my point that I'm getting at. There's a lack of an accountability for the, uh, the the officials. Also, this two referee system, you do, you you can't manage a game properly. If there's one person running the game, you know what that one person's going to call or not call throughout the game. You know, you you can expect, you know, if uh, if someone takes one in the hands on a slash, well, you know, if it wasn't that hard, he'll let it slide. So you know that you can go that far, but no further. But if you have, with the second referee, well, maybe the uh, the second guy down at the far end of the rink saw you tap the the blade of the other guy's stick, and he's going to call you for a slash. So there's there's two measures, there's two there's two different opinions, and you can't manage within the game as a player. So you're completely lost, and then frustrations get uh, start to fly, uh, and then you get this. So. Maybe uh, maybe it's time to go back to the one referee system, especially because the second referees, you got four guys on the ice getting in the way of the puck, as opposed to just three. Yeah, we could do that, <clears throat> or give more responsibility to linemen to call some minor penalties. Sure, um, but uh, we'll we'll move on from there. Uh, Matt mentioned it's a seller's market, so I'd like to, uh, you know throw this out here Bergevin's plan I wrote an article about this that he has uh, he has to choose 
what plan he's going to follow because he seems to be following two different paths. So, uh, Matt, I'm going to see what you think about this. Well, right now, a lot of people want the Canadians to go 100% youth, but we all know that that's not going to work. You're going to need, you still need veteran players on your team. You still need guys that have played in the NHL. Um, at the same time, you don't want to throw all your youth and all your talent, all your young talent, down in the minors, or play them in third and fourth line roles because you're never going to develop them. And we've noticed that the development of the Canadians' prospects has been lacking as of late. Um, We've seen it now with um, with Cock and Yemi, but you know what? Being down in the uh, down in the Val, even though that the team's struggling, he seems to be able to. He's he's putting points together, which is nice to see. Um, and uh, I've said this a few times on the podcast over the last few weeks. Nick Suzuki's been a really, really, really bright spot for the Canadians this year, and if he continues and continues to develop in a positive manner that he is right now. You know he's going to be a you know possibly even a sixty point guy as next season. Um, right now, for me, their biggest need is on the left hand side for defense, which is you know exactly what we were saying at the start of the season. And um, they they need a they need someone that's going to be able to go in there and uh, stop some pucks behind Carey Price because we can't we can't expect Price to play 65, 65 plus games a year. Um, we thought that this year it was going to be Kincaid. It wasn't. It you know it just it didn't work out. We've seen Primo a little bit, but he's better off right now being the starter in Laval. And um, you know, I just in my opinion, I don't think Primo or not Primo um, Lingard has it in him to be the uh, to be the backup for a full season. So if I was um, if I was Mark Bergman, I'd be looking this off season to get a uh, maybe a not necessarily a career backup, but more of a fringe starter, somebody that can uh, go in there and actually be able to help Price out, help the team out, maybe get a few more wins. Valid point. Uh, Treg, what about you? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> Bergevin, I mean, he has a plan, I, I, whether it's the right plan or not, uh, but the the plan he has is to, to get stay competitive, try to build a young team while staying competitive and, uh, you know, be building through the draft. And, and I think he's a little bit late in starting that, but I think it's something that, that he's, he's trying to do and start to do. And, and I think the reason he has to try to stay competitive, I don't think it's a matter of him choosing a plan or not. And, uh, uh I read a tweet today by, uh, uh, one of the RDS, uh, French RDS uh, guys, and he basically said uh, he was talking about Petrie and whether they trade Petrie or not. And he doesn't think they should trade Petrie because he said if Montreal trades Petrie, then how do they explain making us wait another three years? So right in that last sentence, he basically said exactly why Bergevin can't really do a rebuild or Montreal for the last. 20 some odd years has not done a rebuild is because the Montreal fans and media will not stand for a long term uh, uh, miss playoffs or a long term uh, losing. They just won't do it. And any GM that comes into Montreal, not just Bergevin, is going to have to deal with that. <clears throat> I believe this team, like another journalist, Brian Wilde, said. 
they're a 96 point when healthy. There's 86 points when not healthy because they have no depth. And I truly believe this team is two or three pieces away from being. Now, I, 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 I've said contender in the past, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock that down to a annual playoff team or a, a team that's consistently should make the may playoffs with without a major something major happening. Uh, Bergevin's job, which he hasn't been very good at, is filling that need of those two or three players or of those players that's going to make that happen. Bergevin has been, in eight years, has not filled a major hole outside of trying to draft one. And and that's what he needs to do in this offseason. <clears throat> or this team is either going to have to go full rebuild or we're just going to have the same thing we've had for the past 25 years. A uh, bubble-ish team that may or may not make the playoffs. Uh, so to say what does he have to do with his plan, personally, I'd be perfectly okay with him going, you know what, we're in full rebuild mode, uh, let's go. But I'm also perfectly okay with what he's trying to do now because I understand why he's trying to do it and how hard it is to to go the other way. So, yeah, that, that I think he's that, gonna, I, I, sorry. I think he's going to. I think he's going to be the most um, active GM at the uh, at the draft this year. He's going to want to make a splash, and right now they've got their first three seconds. They're going to do something with those. Something, they have something, to so, something, yeah, something's or, gonna happen. Or Ottawa's gonna steal the draft. They have, they're gonna have two top, two picks probably in the top five or ten. Absolutely. So, um, and Montreal's probably gonna have a pick in the t- at least the top ten. Or the uh, But that, that's why I say that's why I say this plan thing is such a hard thing to do in Montreal because the, I mean, the fans are already complaining of four or five now. And you can easily say, well, two of the, one season, they had 96 points. They were pretty much in. It just happened to be one of those years. And two of those, you could, pro- you could, you could argue injuries. Now, people don't say, oh, that's an excuse. What about other teams? But when, it comes, when you have no depth in your team, you lose a price for a year, you're not making the playoffs. You lose three of your top four scores for any amount of time, especially not all together, you're not making the playoffs. And that's exactly what happened this year, and then the year Price got injured. So... His inability isn't the plan. His inability is putting the players in to make the plan work. Well, I, I think that you you kind of alluded to part of the problem with this plan, and that's expectations. You mentioned the fan expectations. Yeah. Um, look at his the start of his tenure. Say the first uh, the first five years of his tenure with the Canadians, he showed up, and people expected him to just do a slow rebuild and then the team was competitive right away uh and it was a playoff team the whole time they were 100 point seasons they were winning divisions you know that's all well and good but then come playoff time uh they really only had that one deep run where they made the third round they made the second round a few times but that was it the and then the team started to dip because it was incomplete it was missing pieces he was he was playing a patchwork game, trying to catch up, hoping that the team would hit. So now he's bringing in, he's, he's says he's building youth, he's going through the draft, but people aren't happy with that. They want the team making the playoffs, but 
but they weren't happy when the team was making the playoffs and not winning. So which is it? Like, what do you want? What do the fans really want? Because uh, clearly it's just Stanley Cup or bust. So the only way to do that is to follow a rebuild plan. You know, it's going to suck, but hey, the team's going to miss the playoffs four or five years in a row. That ha- that's that's how winners are built nowadays. Uh, so, an, an, another issue he had when he first came in is the fact he had nothing in his cupboard. He had absolutely no prospects. He, he had, had no. Away, he had to trade away second round picks, and yeah, uh, there, were, so, there weren't that many draft picks. So now, because of that, he doesn't have the depth from those exactly. drafts to fill in the blanks exactly. now. And, and and that's what everyone's alluding to now, saying, "Oh, Timmons." was terrible well you have to remember Timmons never even had full control of the team until Bergevin came in for his draft picks and when you're drafting 24 or higher almost every year it's a crapshoot anyone can tell you anything over 20 in the first round could be just as good or just as bad as anyone you pick in the second round it's you know the odds of you getting a superstar or an elite player and that's and the Habs haven't done that because they haven't been in a position to pick except for Cotton Emmy or maybe Galchenyuk and Galchenyuk was in a horrible draft year for the first round uh it's not just it's not just uh where they're picking it's the fact that they didn't have that many picks I mean Babe Ruth didn't hit 60 home runs because he was at bat, he was taking one at bat a game he got those home runs because he was getting four, five, six at-bats per game. He was getting well, a ton of swings. But that's what I'm saying. But it does matter where you pick when you're taking that swing. It it does, but it's not just that. It's the fact that no. he's not just taking one swing. He's taking six swings a game, and people forget the five strikeouts. They just remember that one home right. run in that game. Whereas yeah. with Timmons, he was getting one, maybe two swings in a game. And sometimes it was a bunt just because it was easier to get on base. Yeah. That's that's the kind of the analogy I'm going with here. Now, yeah. the nope. last two, three years, he's had a ton of picks to play with. So the expectation now is that he's going to have two, three, maybe even four NHL players per draft class over the last three years. And, and really, to go back to the rebuilding, that's how you rebuild a team. Exactly. And I think Bergman's been trying to do that all along. His team was just so successful, he really didn't have any in the beginning. And now that it's not as successful, but everyone is expecting it to be, the 96-point season last year just blew everyone's expectations too far to the right. Now, what would have and, happened if the season, if the season that the Canadians are having right now happened last year and last year's season happened now? Expectations. Right. It's all about managing expectations. Because, I mean, we called it here on our show right at the beginning. This is a bubble team. They're either going to – we predict between 92 and 96 points. Yeah. They're probably going to finish around 86, but we predict at 92, and that's with a fully healthy team. Yeah. Right? We weren't expecting – we were hoping for a playoffs. We were, uh, uh, you know, what's the word? We were, were hoping for a playoffs. We were optimistic about a playoffs. We knew it could happen. We knew if ever, all the moons aligned and everything stayed good, they would probably do it, right? But they were basically the same team. But you're absolutely right. If they had an 86-point season last year, no one would be complaining. 
because no one expected them to get a 96-point season. Now, this is what uh, the fact that they're a bubble team and they're going to remain a bubble team, and they were a bubble team before all this started, when people were they're still complaining then, they're complaining now. The team's a bubble team. This is why, in the article I wrote for the Hockey Writers, I point to you need to sell those major assets now. Yeah, you keep you keep guys like Weber and Price for leadership, but guys like Tatar and Petrie, you move them now. Because, as Matt mentioned, this is a seller's market. Uh, if Scandella can get you a second, toss Kovalchuk out there. He can probably get a second. Tatar could probably get you a first, uh, a top-end prospect, and a middling roster player to even out cap hits. You know, just like the Pacioretty trade. It, with the, you know, the, the deal that keeps on giving, because if you, you, you flip Tatar for a first and a high-end prospect, now you, you have two assets that'll be with the Canadians for six, seven, eight, ten years and fit with that youth plan that you have as opposed to Tatar, who's going to be 31 when it comes time for his contract and he's going to want a uh, five, seven-year deal, probably making seven or eight million. So is the team ready for, uh, for a seven million dollar winger who's 31 and his best years are behind him? No. No, that's not what you need. You need you, you need to pay the guys like like Domi, for instance, is going to want five or six million, or all the young guys coming up. Suzuki, these are the things you need to spend on, not aging roster players. Petrie's the same. He's coming off. He's he's on pace to match his career high of forty six points, something like that. Forty six points um, again this year. He's thirty three at the end of the contract, or 34, and he's going to want a multi-year deal. Well, he's going to want to raise too, so do you want to keep another over 35 defenseman when you already have Weber there? No. So you, you move him. You can probably get a first and a top prospect with him as well. So now you've got, you move those two guys, you got four, maybe five high-end young assets that fits your rebuild. Yeah, next year is going to hurt. Uh, without those two, likely going to hurt. I mean, losing Tatar. They, Tatar they traded, can be replaced. Yeah, they traded Pacioretty saying, hey, who's going to score goals? They traded Pacioretty, and then the team scored more goals without him than they did with him. Um, yeah. P, moving Petrie, yeah, it's going to hurt on the, on the defensive side. But you go and you find yourself a middling... UFA for two or three years, like a Sherratt type deal, and you kind of tooth and claw your way. The team is still a bubble team with that guy as opposed to Petrie, but you have a better prospect of having a much better team two years from now because now you have all kinds of added friggin' uh, high end assets. This is how you have to do this is what you have to do. You've got to take some pain now so you can have some gain later. I uh I don't think Bergevin's doing that. No, I think do I. I think he's keeping I think and I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because I agree with you, Blaine, but I'm just gonna throw this out there. That's gonna sound like I'm disagreeing with you, but I really don't. I think the game the thought is well, if we keep Tatar and Petrie because we want to be competitive next year 
because we truly believe we're still a bubble team and that we can make it. And if I can add a UFA goaltender in the offseason, which there's going to be plenty of them, right, and I can add this, then that's going to put us over the top. Now, bear with me. I'm just throwing a well, scenario. Well, how did in. that work this year? Exactly. <laughs> but just, just you know what I'm saying? Just bear with me because – so if he's thinking that, then – then there's the thought that, well, if we do, this doesn't work again next year, and if we traded these guys this year anyway, we're not going to make it next year anyway. So no one should expect us to, you know, if we don't make it next year, then we can get the same thing for these guys next year. I, I, and, I, no, I don't think so. But I'm thinking, but I think that's what the thought plan is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, I know what I you're saying. That's what the thought process. I don't think it's going to happen either because I don't think the seller's market is going to be next year. It's going to be like what it is this year. At least I would hope because this year people are going for like Coleman got a first. Yeah. Blake, Blake Coleman. Yeah. So first Tatar can definitely Tatar can definitely get a, a first plus plus if Coleman got a first and a prospect. And a high end prospect. He got, they got a, yeah. a defensive pros, one of their top five defensive prospects. Yeah. And, th- and this whole and this whole Graves thing from Al- the Avalanche, I'm not on board on that at all. That rumor about Graves being the target yeah. for the Canadians? Graves, I think, is overinflated playing with McCarr and the rest of the and McKinnon and Rantanen. Now, if He's Graves the- is part of a return for say Tatar, and it's to even out uh, cap, I'm fine a- with that. Yeah, everything rests on what is a package that they get back. Yeah. If they don't get uh, a high-end prospect as part of the, any deal, then it's a failure. Or don't make the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, don't make the deal just to make a deal. Yeah. That's going to be the big thing. Like if, um, And I don't know, think Bergman does that. No, he doesn't. Yeah. But, um, you know, talking about Colorado, if, uh, if someone like uh, Mike Cout or Newhook or – uh, Connor Timmons or someone like that, or I, I, you know, I'm going to throw the name out there, Byram. I know that they would never move him, but you know, if if a player like that of those four isn't involved, then you don't make the deal. Just like the Pacioretty trade when he said that getting Suzuki was the centerpiece of the deal. You know, great. Uh, Tatar was gravy. The uh, the second round pick that they got with them too was gravy, but the centerpiece was Suzuki. That's what they need to do with Tatar now is you move them, but you need to find that one centerpiece. And then they they can add pieces around that to even things out, whatever they want, who cares. But you need that one centerpiece, that one piece that you're like, yep, that's worth it. Boys, I don't know why we're arguing. We already got the Mario brothers from Pittsburgh and uh, Blandesi and (laughs) Lucchini. So... uh, we're 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 fucking winning the cup next year with them too. So I don't even know why you guys are arguing. <laughs> well, they needed they did need uh, you know the the joke is yeah sure plan the parade <laughs> but but bringing those two in they don't fall under the veteran rule so now you can you can still yep. dress six veterans and the Canadians have well, Laval has a ton of veterans on the blue line if they want to make the playoffs down there that's what you do you play these they're guys also. On the third. They're also better defensive players than uh, Barber and Veroni were, and I don't think Barber and Veroni and 
Joel Bouchard uh, got along with each other. So uh, no, no, they did not. Well, so, when we I, saw, when we I saw, used to know people that had inside uh, connections to Laval, but uh, I don't talk to them much anymore. So I don't know if I can get any information on that. Well, when Kakanyemi and uh, Paling both got sent down, and then Evans back down as well, you know, it took playing time from those guys, and obviously they probably didn't like that being. Uh, you know, shafted off the top units and everything like that. So there was a lot of speculation that um, they weren't happy with their playing time and with the coach and everything like that. So, you know, right now it's an AHL deal. Laval's struggling. Uh, you know, Kincaid's down there. He can't stop a beach ball. So, you know, we'll, we'll, Jeez, he can't stop we'll, we'll, right, we'll see how, right. We'll see how it goes. But um, in terms of the trades uh, or in terms of the trade deadline, um, just, Yes, they might move Petrie. They might move uh, Tatar. I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of on board with Treg. I don't think they're going to do it. I think we're going to see um, more depth players go out. I think Thompson's going to be the next to go. Um, I think Cousins will be out uh, be out soon. And uh, you might see somebody like a Jordan Wheel move. Other than that, I can't see very much uh, much going on. I posted uh, earlier about Louis Domingue and some players wanting to uh, or some fans wanting them to pick him up on waivers. You know, in my opinion, maybe what will happen is if he clears that maybe there'll be a one-for-one swap between him and Kincaid and send Kincaid back to the Devils, but, you know, that's just all speculation right now. I think Kincaid, I don't know, I think he's done. I don't, I don't even think he's trying in Laval anymore. But that's just that's just an opinion, by the way. Well, I saw him. I saw him play against the Marlies there last week, and it didn't look like he was uh, trying very hard at all. Yeah. So, anyway. Yay. Anyway, um, so we'll uh, we'll end the segment here. Um, we're gonna have our little commercial break, and when we come back from the commercials, we will be joined by none other than the voice. Of the Montreal Canadiens, Brian Mudrick. Yes. Great guy. Amazing guy. Yeah. So uh, sit back, relax, enjoy these commercials. When we come back, Brian Mudrick for your listening pleasure. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you, No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no names and players currently making a name. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. We are joined now with Brian Mudrick, the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. Welcome to the show, Brian. It's great to be on the show. I'm, uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it. Oh, it's our, it's absolutely our pleasure. We're very happy that you took some time out to uh, to speak to little old us. 
So, um, uh, the first question, I just wanted to, uh, to just to ask, what prompted you to choose sports broadcasting as a career? Oh, man, probably uh, I didn't have the 95-mile-an-hour left-handed arm um, to make the major leagues. Uh, that probably had something to do with it. But, um, you know, I loved sports growing up. I, I grew up in a, in a small town in northern Alberta is where I'm from originally. And in a small town, you pretty much, you know, do everything, right? There's not a lot to do. We had a, a little hockey rink. We had a little three-sheeter curling ice. Uh, I grew up uh, on a, beside a lake. So, you know, in the wintertime, you can go ice fishing and skate on the, uh, on the lake. Summertime, you're, you're doing water sports. Uh, and I love playing everything. And I just thought at some point, kind of in my mid-teens, that, uh, you know, I wasn't good enough, uh, unfortunately, to make the major leagues or um, have a career that way in sport. And broadcasting always kind of appealed to me. So I sort of, I guess, made the decision around 15, 16 uh, to look into it. And I used to, uh, Blaine, I would drive to Edmonton, which was about two hours away, about um, twice a week. I'd volunteer at Shaw Cable at the time. So I did everything from uh, camera work and audio and shooting and pulling cable and whatever they needed me to do and get acclimatized to it. And yeah, I kind of fell in love with it. So it was, uh, here we are, man, that's uh, a long time ago now, but uh, it's great. Uh, the path that, that I've been on and I've been blessed to have a pretty awesome career so far. So uh, how did you get the Habs play-by-play job? And what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of legends like Danny Gallivan, Dick Irvin, and uh, Bob Cole? You know, I would, the simple answer, there is no simple answer, but I guess the simple answer is a, a lot of work, uh, a lot of hard work and belief in yourself. Um, I'd been at TSN uh, since 2005. Um, I was at CTV Edmonton at the time and I, um, got the job with sports center in 2005, back when there was one TSN, it's pretty awesome. Now we have five, uh, plus all the uh, social media, online streaming, etc. And, you know, I, I, like who doesn't grow up loving hockey? I mean, I grew up in an era, uh, where the Edmonton Oilers made it look pretty easy, uh, for those years in the eighties. And, uh, I was like any other kid hockey night in Canada, Saturday nights, um, our family had season tickets to the Edmonton Eskimos. So we used to go to those games all the time as well. And that, uh, that was my passion. So at sports center, uh, that was a dream come true getting that job. I started doing hockey play by play for some hockey Canada events. Uh, I also was pretty passionate about, uh, curling growing up as a kid. I actually curled pretty competitively in Alberta, uh, for some years, uh, you actually have me at the Scotty Tournament of Hearts right now in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan is where I'm doing this from. So uh, I'm off the Habs uh, gig for a couple games with PSN as I'm doing this job. But the uh, job came up uh, two years ago. Uh, John Bartlett was going uh, back to, uh, to Sportsnet, so the opening came up. I had called um, a lot of Hockey Canada events, uh, under-18 World Hockey Championships, the Men's Hockey Championships, um, Kind of my breakthrough, I suppose, was uh, 2015 in Prague, that year where Sidney Crosby was the captain. They had that dream team, went undefeated. It was such a good team. They had Sagan and Taylor Hall, and they had Brent Burns and Mike Smith and Nett, and Mike Smith could roll on that international ice and do what he wanted with the puck. Um, and the rest is just sort of history. A lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice. And uh, I was I was absolutely thrilled and honored to get the gig, and uh, I take a lot of pride in it. And um, I don't take... Uh, I don't take take it lightly at all. Um, you guys are a great fan base. Um, Montreal Canadiens are an iconic franchise. Uh, and I, I walk in the Bell Centre every night when I do a home game, 
and it's not lost on me, and I don't think it ever will be. Well, um, now you also began a charity golf tournament to, for for cancer research. Uh, what does it mean to for you to give back to the medical community and to help eradicate such a terrible disease? Yeah, I had a pretty tough pass when I was uh, when I was seventeen. I was um, scheduled to um, look at doing a couple of tryouts to maybe play college baseball in the states. Um, I was lucky enough to work with some Atlanta Braves, um, you know, scouting and staff. I was never good enough. Don't get me wrong. I, I knew that, but you know, to get a chance to have an education and maybe play baseball, community college, or you know, heaven forbid, a Division One, that'd been pretty cool. But um, and at 17, I was uh, diagnosed with cancer. I found a lump in my neck. I never felt sick. I had no idea even what cancer was at 17, and it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. So the baseball obviously was on the back burner, and I stuck around Edmonton, and I had to do my chemotherapy and radiation, and I started uh, my broadcasting career at Nate's, uh, which is the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, and it's really hard to get into that program. So when I had to go day one for chemo, I remember sending my dad to class because I didn't want to miss out. So uh, they kind of laughed. My teacher, Chris Durham, who's my friend to this day, sort of said, who's the old man, Brian Newtrick, in the back? And he was like, well, that's actually I'm his dad. And he explained the situation. So I had a pretty rough start. I had uh, I went to college for broadcasting while doing chemo and radiation. Uh, when I was uh, 19 and my first TV job in Lloydminster, I had a relapse. Um, so I had to go back to the hospital. I had a stem cell transplant of my own stem cells. And um, I had a 50-50 chance. And um, they, I was on some some drugs and some experimental stuff that, that, that worked. And I was lucky enough that my cancer was treatable and beatable. Um, so after that experience, when I got back to Edmonton, I started the Brian Nutri golf classic. And, um, when I was really sick the second time, I'm, I was wheeled out of the hospital. I remember telling my mom, I wanted to raise a million dollars for the hospital. And she sort of laughed and said, how about you put on 10 pounds first? As I was probably, <laughs> I was probably a, a, a shell of myself, uh, what 150 pounds and I'm usually six one two or five and um and we did we raised a million dollars uh for equipment uh and we uh raised 1.8 million over 15 years and uh we retired the tournament after 15 years it was a lot of work and we got some pretty sad tragic news that my brother was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer and what's crazy is that we don't really have cancer in our family um which is uh a huge blow and uh, we lost him uh, just over a year ago um, so my family and my mom we decided to have one more tournament uh, in his honor and we'll likely hit the two million dollar mark um, and that'll be a one-off and done for him so that's why we do it um, that's why I, I think it's important to give back and uh, you know what I'm, I'm proud of the work my family and I've done to try help some others as someone who's uh had family members uh, touched by the same disease. You know, it, it means a lot to see other people pushing like you do. So I thank you for that. I'm sure many of my cousins who have survived also do. You know, um, thank you, uh, Blaine. And, and I, one of my favorite stories of being people ask me, uh, what do you love about the Habs job? Or like, what was one of your best moments or games that you called? And, and there's a young guy, uh, Sam Smith, who got to practice, he had the same cancer that I did, the Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he got to practice with the Habs, and 
uh, scoring Carey Price, and and um, he was at a game, and uh, the Habs uh, staff said, "Hey, you know what, Sam's here. Do you want to meet him?" I'm like, "Yeah." And so he brought him into the booth and I, I tweeted something out like that, that I had his cancer and like, I was proud of him and you're my hero, buddy. That's great. Great job by you. And I got to talk with him and his family. His dad was apparently actually a fan, but uh, yes, we're the Habs <laughs> jersey on that game. And Montreal did a great job, the organization with him. And he put on the headphones in the broadcast booth and Mike Johnson and I chatted with him and his parents. And, and that was probably my most favorite moment of the season is getting to talk to a young kid. Because when I was sick, all I wanted to do was talk to somebody that had beat it. And uh, that was really special for me. That did more for me than for Sam, I'm sure. Uh, I hope if he ever hears this, he knows that. Um, and I asked him if I could get a picture with him. Uh, and uh, I, I tweeted it out last year during the season. And that's uh, that for me was, was just awesome to uh, help a young family and to see his parents were in, were in tears. Um, you know, it's, it's emotional for family and for parents because it's their kid, right? And uh, that that was the highlight of my season for sure in year one. Uh, it's, it was an unbelievable story, to be honest. And, and yeah, it those kinds of stories they transcend sport. They're, they're just they're very special. Yeah, Carrie Carrie at the All Star game too with the young man that lost his mom. Right. Um, that's why that's why I love the game. That's why I love uh, the NHL and the players and and that family. There's a there's a there's a real family community uh, in hockey. Uh, the Habs, I mean, I've been there not even a year, and I got a really lovely uh, note of condolences from the team. I mean, geez, my first game back, Julian pulls me aside and says, sorry for your loss. Like, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, there's some really classy people in hockey, so I'm I'm proud to, to be a part of that. Well, kind of switching gears from the, uh, the deeper thoughts to <laughs> back to just playing hockey, uh, you mentioned that you had covered the under-18s, and... Um, I wanted to get you. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on your thoughts on the prospects that are coming up for the Canadians that you've witnessed. Oh man, it's uh, you know it's exciting. Um, I think you know first and foremost you're getting a look at one of the recent ones, in Nick Suzuki, um, coming off that incredible year in junior Memorial Cup appearance and uh, what 92 points, and he had 42 I think in the playoffs, which was just insane. That was a franchise record um, for his junior team. Uh, Romanoff, young defenseman who is uh, what back-to-back um, all-star defenseman at the World Juniors, playing in Russia right now. I'm telling you, Cole Caulfield. And it's funny when I was watching the draft. I think I was doing a charity event in Kelowna, but I had the draft up on my iPhone, and I was just seeing. And and I remember he fell out of the top ten. Spencer Knight, the great USA United States National Team development program goalie, he went to Florida. Then I think another. Uh, kid from the same program cam york went and then i'm like you know what i think the Habs are going to take caulfield and they did at 15 and i'm telling you this kid they say he's too small and he can't you know it's the nhl level he won't be able to score i've seen him since he was you know 16 17 so the united states national team development program all right has had absolute studs come through it austin matthews phil kessel clayton keller so on the same play, he was teammates with Jack Hughes and line mates, actually. Um, on the same play, he broke the goal-scoring record in the United States National Development Program of Phil Kessel. And the assist uh, from Hughes, he broke the all-time points record for Keller on the same goal. They actually cut the puck in half, by the way, and they both got a half of the puck. Um, 
he gets in the tough areas. He can score from the tough areas. The passes aren't always perfect. And there was a shot, another goal he scored at the Summer Showcase in Plymouth last summer. My goodness. Like, there was no room to put the puck, and he put it there. Um, I'm really excited for the Habs uh, fans to see Cole Caulfield whenever that happens. He's obviously in Wisconsin um, right now. And it's a strong draft in Montreal coming up. So the Bell Centre will host the draft here in June. Um, there's a lot of good young kids led by Alexis Lafreniere, who obviously Quebec-born and an absolute stud in the making. Uh, there's a couple of young uh, Swedes who are also incredible. That'll probably be uh, Lucas Raymond uh, is the kid who had the, the golden goal and a hat trick for Sweden to win their first ever U18 goal in Sweden in Umeå and Ornschutzvik. That was uh, back in April. Um, so there, there's a lot of good... Uh, Quentin Byfield, there's some great names that are in that in that list, but it's a strong draft. So, have got a lot of good ones coming up. And with the uh, the deadline coming up, and you you mentioned how good the draft is, uh, do you think that uh, that Bergman may be a little bit more active, trying to get a couple more picks into this draft? You know, it's so hard, uh, Blaine. Like, you have, I think it's uh, a number one. I'm not a GM. <laughs> it's number two. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want the job. I, I think it's just so tough. The GM job, if you're a coach or an athletic therapist or, you know, assistant coach, at least like when the, the season's over, you, you can kind of shut it off a little bit. GM's year-round because you're scouting, you got the draft, you're always, you know, got to be on the phone talking, who's available, what can you get? You know, you got, you got Shea Weber, who, great news, by the way, for Habs fans. It sounds like he's going to be back way sooner than anticipated, which is amazing. Um, and Carey Price. You got Shea Weber and Carey Price, guys in their, you know, 30s that, that in the new NHL aren't young anymore. but they are the star pieces. In the meantime, you're also trying to have a, a rebuild of sorts, and you also have these young guys that are coming up. Um, when is the time to jump all in? You know what? A guy, you know, you're going to have to pay, or are you a guy like Jeff Petrie, Scandella, Tatar, Domi? Um, you know, what do you do with these guys? Are they a part of the future? Um, you got a young guy like Isveri Kakanami. You talked about, um, you know, draft picks and people coming up. He's still 19. Right. I mean, he had that great rookie season. He's very still 19 years old. Um, so my answer is, I don't know, because I don't know how much you mortgage. What's your time frame? And I just think he's in a tough spot when the guys you, you have, the, your big stars are Carey Price and Shea Weber, and they're not young guys anymore. Where's no, that line, right? Where do you yeah. pull the trigger? Where is that line? It's, it's, it's tough. I'm glad I don't have to answer it. I'm glad, I just love calling the games. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, what are your thoughts on Weber's return to be, uh, because like you mentioned, he was given a four to six week window and now he's back, uh, within two weeks. Do you, do you feel maybe they were rushing him or he's just, just a machine? I think, I think he might be in the next Terminator movie. If Arnold Schwarzenegger makes one more, um, no, like, like sincerely, okay, number one, Shea Weber knows Shea Weber's body, body better than anybody. He is a strong dude. I mean, he's obviously played through stuff his entire career. Um, they're not, and Shea is not, going to jeopardize his career. So obviously we know the issue with the ankle and the knee, right? There, what was told at the beginning was there was a lot of swelling, and Claude Julien was a broken record, and he's not a doctor, right? I mean, he's, it's like, Hey guys, we got to see the swelling come down. And then he went to see the specialists in Wisconsin. That was kind of the next step in the process. I mean, if it's not going to impede or hurt him long-term with whatever this injury is, if it's 
something from before and, and I'm not, I don't want to speculate because that's definitely not what I'm here for either. I'm no doctor either. Um, I don't even look like a doctor. So, but he's a guy that can play through pain. Uh, he talked um, today, I was watching uh, uh, his, his media conference and it's one of those things. It's pain management. Listen to your body. So to me, that all sounds really positive because it sounds like it's up to Shay to decide how much pain he can play with. We know he can play with a lot, but I don't think he's playing this year. And I don't think he's making this push for the Habs, who are a real outside chance now to make the, the postseason. But I don't think he's playing unless he's not going to hurt himself long term. So to me, this is all positive. Now, do you feel that the Canadians promise to be more transparent has been met with their openness on injuries such as Shea Weber's? I don't know. I don't think I'm the right guy to ask that question. Um, that's a little over my, my headspace. But I mean... At the end of the day, uh, there's protocol to follow all the time. And, I mean, these are, these are well-paid professionals, the players, and, of course, the staff around them. So I, I think there's due diligence taken, but that, I don't think that's for me to comment on. Okay. And um, you've, you've been watching this team game in, game out, obviously, doing play-by-play. Uh, do you think that this team, had they stayed healthy, would have had a similar season to last year's? You know, I believe so. If you look, there's a lot of things that stand out to me, and, and I'm not, like, I, I watched Claude Julien. So I watched the game uh, against Dallas and some of the calls, and Claude was what recently fined the $10,000 for going off. I'm telling you, like, the, the Habs, um, I don't have the stats in front of me, I, but I know that they have been one of the, uh, the teams that have drawn the least amount of penalties. Um I thought that that was a real tough game for, for Claude Julien, and he admitted, listen, it's not that, we made our own mistakes. Okay. They were up in that game three, nothing, but there are some calls there that I was shaking my head and, and texting some of my colleagues and my, my buddies like, Oh man, um, the trip in overtime to Armia, uh, is just one of a few. And I was like, I mean, the ref, uh, I won't say, I, I know who it is. I won't say his name, but he, I mean, he was looking right at him. He was looking right at the play on the replay of the trip. That was right in the skates. Like, I don't know. So I, I feel the frustration of the team. Uh, at last check, they were also leading the league in one goal losses. Um, and they had a lot of injuries, and that's no excuse. So, same with Pittsburgh, right? I, I'm not making excuses for the team, but I, you know, I think a healthy team, um, I think the other thing, and this is only the Habs to blame for this. Okay, so three losses to the Red Wings this year. Three. All right? They lost two to the Devils. Uh, they lost to Ottawa. I'm not. It's the NHL. I know it's hard to win games. I'm not saying that you, you look at the schedule and you just check off the two points. But like, even of those teams, if you get six points, right? So what was that? Three, four, five. Like, let's say you had seven games that you'd hope you'd maybe sneak a point out on maybe an off day. Um, out of those, let's say 14 points, if you if you get six, if you get seven of them, all of a sudden you're right there. You're right behind the Leafs, right in the in the division, anyways. I think at last check, they're what, eight or nine, eight out division, nine out in the uh, wild card, uh, depending on when you run this. But, you know, they're, they're right there. Um, and I don't think the backup situation uh, for Keith Kincaid, I don't think either side it worked out the way that either side envisioned it, right? And if you look at the successful teams in the NHL, it seems to be a nice flow of either it's a 1A, one, one like Carey Price, and then you're one, or a Marc-Andre Fleury, but, like, you look in teams like Boston, where, where it seems like both guys are, are getting the job done. The New York Islanders, uh, Colorado Avalanche. Um, you know, the goaltending, I think, you know, you needed more backup uh, wins as well to support Carey Price. And, 
And I'm sure Carey Price and a lot of the guys in the room would tell you, well, yeah, maybe they had to play a little bit better too. So, I mean, that's just me spitting things out. But um, your question was, minus the injuries, you know, do I think that they could have had the same production or been closer? And yeah, I think they could have. Well, Brian, I, I truly appreciate the time you've given us um, and, and your candid answers. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to uh, to plug or let my listeners know about? Um, well, I'm, I don't have to uh, have. I don't need hair plugs. That's good. Still got that. <laughs> I got good family genes, so that's all right. Um, no, not at all. You know what? I the one thing I want to say about about Habs fans, um, and and you know. Like I think the uh, the passion is awesome. I, I love the. Um, I've gotten a lot of great support and some really nice comments uh, online. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I've, you know, it's been a it's been a tough year with my family, with losing my brother, and uh, you know, when I got the job, I put a lot of pressure on myself to to do a good job, and I really wanted to deliver and perform and and bring that energy and intensity and. And to, uh, you know what, even in times that aren't so great, like maybe right now, to, to make the call exciting, to make people want to tune in. So uh, I appreciate, uh, for those listening, all the support I have gotten in my first two seasons. Uh, love Montreal. The Bell Province is awesome. The Bell Centre is, is literally, I, I, I am honoured every time I walk into that building. And it's, uh, I appreciate the, the support in Interesting me with uh, with your precious Montreal Canadians and getting to voice them uh, and to call them. So, yeah, it's an honor for me, and uh, and I enjoy I enjoy my job. I'm a lucky dude. Well, uh, here's hoping you have a very long career covering the Montreal Canadiens and uh, doing the play by play because it's very enjoyable. Uh, you do make it you do make it fun to listen to and watch. So, uh, let's hope it lasts a long time. Appreciate that, Blaine. And uh, you know what? If, if the Habs aren't playing. You could watch the Scotties or the Briar morning draws too. If you really, you know, got to get some curling in there. There's my, there's my, there's my TSN selfless plug. There you go. <laughs> and uh, to be uh, to be honest, I I do watch the Scotties. I, I I my father-in-law and I watch a lot of curling. All right, Marianne Arsenal turning the clock back. Marianne's had a couple of great years. I understand she's moving to BC though, so you're going to lose her. Um, yeah. But uh, she uh, she's she's playing great again. And, uh, yeah, Nova Scotia, they've done good. The junior girls, man, they've been phenomenal, too, out of your province the last few years. Like Mary Faye kind of raised the bar there for the young, uh, young curlers. But uh, I'll digress off the curling talk. But uh, <laughs> it was great to be on, the, on your podcast to talk to the Habs play. So thanks for having me. I truly appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, you're welcome. And that concludes another episode of Habs Unfiltered. We would like to thank all our listeners, old and new, for joining us. We hope you were informed and entertained. And always remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.